Welcome to this event. It's Around the Table, our third edition of it with my dear friend and the incredible talented chef Anna Sorton. Um, thanks for joining us here at Ruby. And those of you who have joined before know that uh, whenever we start off these uh, events, that uh, I like to start off with something that I'm grateful for, because feeding people is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. Uh, and the very best seasoning in any in any dish, the, the most important ingredient is, in fact, gratitude. So with that, because we're going to talk about food, let's start with some gratitude. And so this week, I am very grateful for, well, for garlic. Uh, this week, I have been harvesting my garlic farm. I plant about 1,200 heads or so, seven varieties. And I've been spending my evenings watching the uh, league-leading Red Sox play. That's my team. Uh, and just braiding garlic all night. And I, I love it. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm grateful for. I hope that you will take a minute to reflect on something you are grateful for. But also say thank you for all that you are doing to feed people. Because, well, as I said, feeding people is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. And the world needs more of that. So bon appetit. Keep cooking. So with that, let me introduce you to my very dear friend, Anna Sorton. Uh, Anna and I crossed paths first uh, a few years back in Boston, where she is the chef of the incredible Oleana restaurant, uh, also Sofra Bakery and Sorma, and uh, James Beard award-winning chef. She was born and raised in Seattle, lived and worked all over the world. Um, just two years back was a finalist for Outstanding Chef. Uh, the James Beard Awards, which means like not even just like she's good in her region, means like she's the best anywhere. Uh, yeah, that's who we're talking to today, folks. And she is an expert on spices, um, which is a question that we get very often from the Ruby audience, you. So with that, Anna, hi, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Barton, thanks. It's good to be here. I appreciate yeah. this. This is so much fun to see you in Maine in your kitchen. Yeah, thanks. Um, and where are you joining us from today? I'm I'm in the dining room at Oleana, the quiet dining room. It's before uh, set up, and it's just me. It's before it fills up with customers later tonight. Well, isn't that a lovely thing to have a room full of people? My gosh, trust <laughs> hospitality people. Nothing better than that. So, um, I got to start off by saying I I've always been so blown, just utterly blown away by your food. Uh, you know, I walk into the dining room at Oleana, and first off, the, the space is sensuous. Uh, I mean, even just the entry pathway, uh, you know, off the street in Cambridge there, uh, just feels like a different world. And you just walk in, and, and you feel enveloped uh, and welcomed. And, th and then the food arrives, and it's just like, oh, my God. I get just, like, gobsmacked. Um, would you tell us a little bit about your cuisine and, and maybe sort of what your path was to discovering that sort of context in which you cook now? Um, thank you. That was so nice to hear. I appreciate that. Um, I was cooking Mediterranean food for a long time, um, but really focused on the central part of the Mediterranean, like Greece, Morocco. Uh, well, I guess Morocco isn't exactly central, but I was more um, Western, I guess I should say. Um, and I was working at a place in Harvard Square about 24 years ago or something like that. And a, a Turkish woman was having dinner with my boss who was uh, Syrian, uh, born in Palestine, but raised in Syria. Um, his name was Sari. And she said, Sari, you, you really should have some Middle Eastern food on your menu. I mean, how come there isn't anything 
um, that represents the Middle East or the Eastern part of the Mediterranean. And um, so she convinced him and he was no stranger to a cocktail. So he had a few drinks um, and it, he was pretty easy to convince by the end of their dinner. But he, she convinced him to send me to Turkey to study with her. And um, basically she um, she took me in and taught me everything she knew. And at first when she marched up to me and she said, oh, your, your boss just said um, that you're gonna go to Turkey and study with me. I thought, oh wow, Turkey, um, genies, flying carpets. I didn't really know what to think. And I didn't really even know exactly um, where it was, but it changed everything uh, that trip. And mostly it was about uh, the spices and how they used them uh, in sort of a Mediterranean way. Everything was really rich, but nothing was heavy. And it was flavors that I had never really tasted before. Um, and it just kind of, it kind of, it was so interesting to me because I realized I could taste lots of different foods um, and not feel, not feel terrible. And to me, it was kind of a, a crossroads. And from that point on, I, I really uh, have been pursuing that ever since. But I never would have imagined that, um, that I could go from like sort of classic French to Mediterranean to um, the Middle East, just like that, just like that, just one experience. Um, and I was hooked. So, yeah, I, I, I would love it if, if a fairy godmother came to me and were like, you're going to come to Turkey. I'm going to instill upon you generations of wisdom. I'm like, wow. Uh, cool. Would be awesome. I know it was, it, it was so lucky and so serendipitous and, yeah, I mean, I try to imagine what what my life would be like if I hadn't met her. You know, she she really she really was a mentor and really was a fairy godmother. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, spices um, and everyone out there. Uh, so we're also sort of ostensibly talking about honest book. In addition to being mom, restaurateur, uh, farmer, uh, amongst many other things, she's also an author and this absolutely excellent book, Spice. Uh, it came out many years ago. Uh, but it's still in incredibly relevant. Um, so I, I urge you all to pick this up. Uh, but spice being sort of the foundation of the cuisine. Uh, just start off, question, I, what is spices? What are they? Um, you know, just sort of define that if you can, colloquially, you know, sort of informally. And I think it's a, I think it's a food group, right? That no one no one thinks about it's an it's an ingredient that um does a few things it gives things authenticity makes things taste like where they're from um it adds a lot of different flavors but they're you know they're seeds usually um but i guess technically garlic could be a spice too right it doesn't have to be like um, a dry seed. Um, and also herbs are kind of sometimes in that category. So I'm a little loose with the term myself. I don't, I'm not super rigid, but I think, um, technically when we're, when we're talking about spice, it's, it's a dried form of seed, uh, or flour that can be preserved and, um, added to food in sort of magical ways. So when you use spice, uh, you know, reading through the book and having tasted your food before, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the technique. Uh, you know, you were sort of a French chef, as so many of us 
I think we're, we're trained in just that was sort of the foundation of technique. Um, you know, and I had a big epiphanous moment, I think, which is somewhat similar to, to yours with, uh, sorry, uh, moving to uh, going to Turkey and understanding spice. I felt the same way about exploring uh, and being exposed to smoke. Um, smoke was, to me, that sort of elemental foundational moment. Uh, I worked for a woman named Carol Greenwood, who is an alchemist, uh, uh, just a Wiccan goddess of just just her food is, is magic um and what was so sort of epiphanous for me was that smoke could act as a foundation for cuisine uh, in the way that stock cream and butter sort of act as the foundation of french cuisine or technique um and it was that moment that I sort of removed stock cream and butter from my food and began to use wood oven, wood grill. Uh, you know, not smoke in the sense of barbecue, like deeply penetrating the smoke, but rather just um, using it as that foundational flavor. Uh, in, in a lot of your dishes, you use spice in that same way. It's not necessarily like an ingredient or a component of the plate as, say, uh, you know, green beans would be on the plate as a component. Um, how do you think about spices? How do you organize them? Like, what, what is your, if you were to say, like, you have a spice fluency, um, how, how would you sort of think, how would you tell someone, one of, you know, one of the folks watching this, one of our students at Ruby to sort of begin to understand the category uh, and how to use it in that foundational way? Yeah, I love that question. Um... I, and I agree. I think smoke is a spice for sure. And it does exactly what, but yet it's not an ingredient. It's so fascinating, right? It's just a method. But, um, well, I guess it is an ingredient. It really does flavor something. But I think for, for spices, um, you know, I think of them like pink colors almost or like notes in a, a music thing or something new especially when you're blending, you want to combine something. Um, so if you start with something sort of earth, earthy on a baseline and then you, you combine it with something sweet, um, it sort of becomes a flavor. And then if you add sort of start adding some sort of bright and tart and acidic notes, um, you get even um, more roundness or complexity. But, you know, if you came to my house on um, a Sunday night and it was raining, and I was cooking lamb, um, the spice blend that I make, make for the lamb would be completely different than if you came to my house um, in the summer and I was grilling the lamb. So I feel like it's not just, um, it's, a, it's a way of blending for the mood, for the weather, for the length of cooking, for the style of cooking. Um, and it's really more, I look at them more like um, colors or dimensions um, in the food, but they definitely do give that depth and that richness, like the smoke that you were talking about does. And it does, you if you use spices first, I usually like when I'm thinking about a dish, um, sometimes I am thinking about the, the star of the plate first, like green beans might be first or lamb might be first, but um, oftentimes, I'm thinking about a spice blend or flavor, what, you know, certain spices work with tomatoes really well, or what certain spices work with um, green beans really well. And then I'll start with those two things before I, I think about 
um, a dish. I mean, I'm constantly thinking first and foremost about the season and, and the vegetables, but, um, but I do often wrap spices in there early on too. Uh, it, process. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny in, in the American cuisine, or, or I guess how I've seen so many people cook at home, uh, you know, spices are such a, I think just misunderstood, you know, to the point where I think they're they're not abused, but just used erratically. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been watching somebody cook and they're just like kind of looking at it. And there's the there's just like the innate desire when you're cooking to like do something more, you know, to fist fuss with it, you know, to like take shake yeah. the pan, et cetera, to like you know, to add one more ingredient just because I don't know what that psychology is necessarily, but it's, it's hard. You know, one of the things that great chefs learn is, uh, great meals are made by taking things away rather than by, you know, adding seven more things. But, you know, the spices are often right next to the stove and, you know, we're in a cabinet there. Uh, and we'll talk about how to store spices. Um, hint everybody, it's not right next to the stove where it's a hundred degrees. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in that come in the antique McCormick tin can, if you see that, guess what? Paprika is probably not worth using. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, you know, that there's this sort of like afterthought, like, oh, I'm sauteing my chicken, uh, onion powder. Um, that it's, uh, but what you're saying is this really, it's, it's building and it's foundational and well, elemental to uh, the dish. And that, that's what I feel like... You, was so is so amazing and sort of odd odd sort of awe inspiring about your food to me is that it just felt so sincere and authentic a word you used earlier um, but also just fluent like it, it just felt like the idea started off good and it was communicated well um, so uh Tell me about how you use spices. I mean, you were talking about sort of the ideation of it, and you think about all this ahead of time and sort of build the dish out. But do you use spices raw? Do you use them, you know, during cooking, before cooking, after cooking? I know that there's a little bit of all things there, but uh, you know, talking to a student here, what would you say is sort of the the method of cooking with spice? Well, I like, first of all, I like just sort of learning a few at a time, because I think if you um, go out to the store and you buy like a bunch of spices and then you um, you sort of, you can be kind of overwhelmed. To me, I also think a lot about um, how similar spices are to wine. So in, in Italy, you might be sitting uh, for dinner having this plate of like risotto that's got, you know, butter and maybe it's got a lot of umami from the Parmesan or the truffles or whatever, but otherwise it's pretty, it's pretty plain. But what you've got in your glass is all the spices. You've got acidity, you've got muskiness, earthiness, um, tannin, you've got structure, you've got all sorts of um, notes. And, and in the East, you know, technically there isn't, you know, huge, there wasn't a huge wine culture uh, for a long time. And so, the way that they cooked was um, more sort of dimensional. So um, every time I'm thinking of, you know, something when I'm cooking with spice, it just depends. Like if I want, if I am cooking something that has many spices in it, 
um, I would cook it. I would want to cook it for a while. If I'm just using one sort of bright acidic spice, like for instance, um, sumac, which is a really beautiful crimson colored um, dried berry that they cure with salt and then they grind. And I actually, I happen to have some sitting right next to me just for a visual. This is, it's like crimson colored and it's, and it's kind of sticky a little bit. Um, and you use it with a heavy hand. You don't just use like a sprinkling of it. You use like a teaspoon of it um, and put it on top of a salad um, to give it some sort of bright acidity. Um, so those are kind of more like um, less cooking spices when you have one note um, that you want to finish with. But if you have something that's fairly complex, you you would cook it. Like in Indian food, they use a lot of really um, big combinations of spices, like the masalas, the curry, that all that, all those blends that have like nine or 12 um, spices in them. And those really need some time. Whereas something like sumac, you just kind of want to pop it really fast at the end. Yeah, I'm just sitting here eating it with my finger out of the jar. <laughs> sumac is good. It is. Did you make that up in Maine or is that from, is that, that looks like good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I didn't make this. This is from uh, you know, friends of mine who have a great business up here called Scordo, which is a spice uh, store that I, I, I nice. rely on for for that. Um, so the history of spices, uh, at least in European cuisine, spices were used. Uh, I mean, it was you know, a hugely valuable trade. Um, but from my understanding, spices were also used as a means to kind of mask uh food that had, was past its peak uh, or prime, um, that uh, these big flavors uh, were sort of used to overpower maybe some off flavors uh, in the areas before mm -hmm. refrigeration. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love that it, spices have now turned into like this art form and like the, the foundations of cuisine too. So when you're saying that cooking for a long time, what, what happens? Like if you're mixing... Uh, uh, you know, the grouping that you do in your book of cumin, uh, coriander, cardamom. Uh, what happens to those flavors over time? If you say you, you sprinkle them onto a beef short rib uh, and braise it, what, what happens to the personality? I feel like the personality becomes one. So it becomes... Um, it's sort of like when you're having spring rolls in a Thai restaurant or something, and you have those that that sort of holy trilogy of Thai basil, cilantro, and mint. Mm -hmm. And when you taste all three together, it's a it's its own flavor. So I feel like when you have time and you've got something very complex, um, it becomes one, and it becomes a different taste. I think what gets me all. Um, excited about spices that I really feel like it has a bunch of purposes, a few, like three very key ones. One is um, obviously giving food depth and richness without making um, whatever you're cooking heavy. Um, and, but also making things taste like where they come from, giving some sort of authenticity to something. So in other words, what makes something taste Greek, what makes something taste Moroccan, what makes something taste Mexican. Um, and then that sort of leads into, you know, cravings. And in, in my opinion, spices, you know, produce cravings. Um, you know, people like Doritos 
pay lots and lots of money to try to find those spice combinations that, you know, people go after. And when you say, you know, oh, I feel like Mexican food tonight, or I feel like Thai food tonight, you're usually craving some sort of like spice profile or combination that that, that cuisine is sort of known for. Um, so I feel like that's a, that's a really big part of spices um, and the use of them. And, you know, the marriage and blending of them is sort of these, it lends authenticity because it, it creates this flavor that it's its own. So like when you put something like allspice and black pepper together, those two are really big in Lebanon and they use them in equal proportions and they use them in things on, like tomatoes. Like we, like we would never think of putting uh, fresh ground allspice on a tomato here. Allspice is like pumpkin pie and Thanksgiving. But in the Middle East, if you blend it with equal parts black pepper, you get that sort of sweet, bright floral thing with something that's super rich and earthy. And they they sort of balance each other out and they create a new flavor that that is is uniquely yeah. its own. That That's a, a favorite of my one of my favorite combinations, my pepper grinder that I have. I um, and I, we'll, we'll talk about pepper <coughs> in, a, in a bit. I want to ask your, your opinion on that. But uh, yeah, my, my pepper grinder is one part pepper, one part allspice and one part fennel seeds. Um, oh, my God, that sounds like, amazing. That's that is my blend. Uh, you know, I just I think pepper pepper is an incredible ingredient, uh, but I often I, I, I feel that Western Western cooks don't know how to use it. I, I don't think it's an ingredient that should stand alone uh, as we so often make it. But yeah, that combination of allspice and pepper just alone. I, I make a mignonette for my oysters. <clears throat> if I'm oh, going right. to add anything yeah. other than lemon to oysters, I make a red wine mignonette. Which is typically, you know, diced shallot, red wine vinegar, water, and lots of large cracked black pepper. But to that, I, I add allspice, and oh my god, what that does to a sweet, salty, briny, crunchy cucumber essence mermaid's kiss oyster from the coast of Maine. Oh my <laughs> lord! Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting because I, I, I never, I didn't know that was part of Lebanese cuisine. Yeah, allspice and black pepper are very big. That's great. I, that's so great that you discovered that. That's awesome. Yeah, I love so that. Pepper. I love the fennel too. Yeah, fennel. Fennel is my very favorite spice. Uh, any 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 of the folks that have joined us before know that uh, I fennel always comes up in some shape or form. Everything I do, I put fennel in. In fact, when I go out to eat uh, at restaurants, I read menus right to left, looking for fennel in the description, and then I order <laughs> that thing. Um, but uh, yeah, fennel seed is about my favorite. I buy it by the pound, uh, along with bay leaves. That's that's another one. I just I buy it by the pound, and a pound of bay leaves, as you know, is it's a lot of bay leaves. Um, but uh, so black pepper. So this is something I get in, in um, uh, relatively heated debates uh, with a lot of chefs over. Is that I think that black pepper is uh, so overused and misunderstood that. You know, in cuisine, we add salt and pepper. You know, almost every recipe is salt and pepper. Salt makes things taste more like they are. It's a structural component to a dish. Pepper, to me, makes things taste more like pepper. And uh, unless it's smartly blended in, and in the way that you ideate and construct your dishes, I always find that pepper tends to just stand out. 
Um, that's not to say it's not warranted. Just like sumac, delicious over top. It is a nice standout ingredient. But that sort of just automatic reach for the pepper before starting a dish, uh, I find to be a flaw in the way that Western cooks sort of operate. Um, and white pepper, to me, nah, I, don't, I just don't use it at all. So I'll put that out there, potentially as fighting words, uh, but sort of I wanted to know your opinion. I'm not a white pepper fan. And I certainly am not, you know, to me, like the, the French used it in their bechamel sauces, right? So that you wouldn't see little flecks of black, you know, things in your sauce, which I guess makes sense, but it's always very musty to me. It does have some, you know, benefit in blends, but they use it a lot in North African spice mm -hmm. blends, but I, um, I'm not, a, I don't have a white pepper in my shaker at all. In fact, you know, I, I agree with you though. It is, it's kind of like, I don't think all things should have black pepper in them. And we've just be, we've just become something, some sort of habit we formed about salt and pepper, salt and pepper, add salt and pepper. And, um, you know, what is the worst to me though, like above all is the pre-ground oh. black pepper in the, in the little, in the little packages <laughs> or in the, in the salt shaker or in the pepper shakers on the table that have probably been there for like six months. And, um, I don't know, that always has a really off flavor to me. Um, but I love the use in the Middle East. We use um, chilies, the urfa or the marash mm -hmm. particularly, um, which is also known as Aleppo pepper. Um, we use that in place of black pepper because yeah. it perks up, it kind of lifts flavor up. And if you use it for um, another, besides making something spicy, you use it just to lift flavor. It's really magical. Yeah. It's also very vegetal and sweet. Yeah, you've got some too. I've got, yeah. <laughs> got my, little, my little dish. It's yeah, the red uh, oily pepper. Yeah, Urfa is, Urfa is amazing. Urfa be there. Uh, so I, I agree with you. Pepper is, I mean, it's a fantastic ingredient in that it does provide that piquancy, that that point of, almost point of contention um, in a dish that sort of, you know, like I, I think some of the best dishes are dishes that, uh, present some tension between ingredients in a way that's balanced. Um, you know, sweet, sour, acid, fat, uh, et cetera. They're, you know, I don't want those things to become one. I want them to actually have some, you know, tension between them. And pepper is a great way to introduce that. Um, but yeah, I just think that in, especially in the professional kitchen, God, I, I the, the number of cooks that I had to disabuse of the idea that your nine pan of salt that's on every station in the restaurant should be a mixture of salt and pepper. It's like out of the gallon <laughs> jug of pre-ground pepper that was ground in China two years ago, sent on slow ships. Right. Oh my God. Like now, and don't use the garlic out of the can with the, the water either. Just don't, you know, um, <laughs> it's sort of what I compare that the ground pepper to. But I, you know, in my restaurants, I literally just, I, I got so frustrated with the cook's sort of general lack of ability to comprehend that you know, pepper didn't belong in everything, that I, I just took pepper out of my restaurant. And if the diners wanted pepper, 
we have beautiful, carefully, conscientiously sourced pepper. The peppercorns have been toasted today, put into a high quality pepper grinder, and here it is. You know, the specialty ingredient. Right. You know, just like boom, and it hits the table, and woo, that's a good use of pepper. Um, yeah, definitely. So, in that, you, you mentioned other kinds of pepper. Uh, and that made a question I wanted to ask about, which is the difference between spice and spicy. Um, All right. And, and, and you, I, I learned something really great from you that when you say I'm going out for Mexican food tonight, actually what you're going out for is coriander and, and cumin and, and cilantro and lime juice and that, that sort of flavor profile. Um, can you talk about the difference between spice and spicy and sort of their functions in food? Yeah, I mean, I think heat is always a really good thing. I always think of um, heat as as disguising flavor sometimes, too. Like you were talking about spices disguising flavor. Um, heat can often dis disguise flavor, too. Heat's fun, um, but, you know, you do, you definitely lose flavor with too much heat, I think, Um and then, so that means spicy means chilies and actual like mouth burning uncomfortableness and spices um, mean all the other, all the other flavorings and seeds and pods out there that aren't um, spicy. So yeah, I think they encompass, I think, you know, a little bit of heat can lift flavor up. Like even just a pinch of cayenne can actually pull flavor into your mouth um, quicker and can kind of like pull it up to the roof of your mouth. And I think that's a fun sensation to play with, but then it can easily be overdone too. We, uh, in, in the home cooking that I do now, uh, my wife and I both love spiced and spicy food. Um, and with a one-year-old now and a four, almost five-year-old, uh, spicy mm -hmm. food is not uh, on, on the menu. So I've taken to uh, garnishing food with spicy. So I, I you know, grow a whole lot of, of various chili peppers, but really just jalapenos and serranos, fresnos, you know, what's readily available year round. Um, and shaving those very thin on a mandolin. And basically every meal that we have now, there's just kind of a bowl of mixed shaved peppers and shallots. Uh, you know, it's kind of mixed together almost as a garnish on top. Um, that I, I've come to actually really enjoy uh, this kind of fresh component to things. Uh, but that was another, that leads me to another question that I wanted to ask you, which is uh, not only are you the, the queen of spices, but you're also uh, an active farmer. You are known for your pioneering and championship, championing of uh, fresh local cuisine ingredients from uh, local areas. So what's the sort of the tension between spices, which are, sort of inherently dried, preserved, and and fresh flavors. And how do you bring those into balance? And you had mentioned you know, black pepper and allspice, but also tomato. And I can see those two things being stewed down together for a long period of time, and then chunks of chicken thrown in there, and maybe a little bit of yogurt at the end. Uh, but what's the tension between fresh, like a fresh tomato, and, and dried spices? And how do you make that work? Oh yeah, I think that that's an excellent question. Um, I think of a lot of the freshness and brightness come from like fresh herbs and things like that, or 
a spice like um, a fresh fennel seed or a fresh coriander seed that hasn't dried yet. And um, I, I feel like sometimes you need a brightness. I know that in, especially in Mexican food, they do that a lot where they squeeze like a ton of lime on something that's been cooking for a long time, or they put a ton of cilantro, which is very bright, or they stir in um, something crunchy and raw, like your chilies into, um, like your raw sliced chilies into, uh, you know, something that's cooked for a long time. In the Middle East, they do more of, um, they always add acid to something um, and that sort of brightens up the spices. So there's always, um, pomegranate molasses or sumac or lemon or tamarind or something like that, that sort of um, makes it really bright and acidic. So it doesn't feel so rich. Um, and it's not necessarily with spices. It's more like with ingredients and yogurt does the same thing too. Um, but a spice like sumac or fresh herbs to to finish something to give it some sort of brightness or acidity is is pretty common. More rich spices like um, cumin um, and even turmeric, which is really earthy. When I think of all the earthy spices, I think of those earthy ones being the ones that you're cooking and stewing. And then the more acidic, bright notes, like even coriander is very acidic and bright. Um, those are more of your finishing spices. Um, there's a lot of different ways, but you know, I think for me, I, I whenever I'm teaching someone or talking to someone about spices, I always say start small, but, and find some favorites. But I also like want everyone to just throw away the rules because the only way that you're gonna, um, you know, fall in love with something is to just like try a spice blend and put it on everything. Like it, who says you can't put it on granola or uh, Doritos or Cheerios or chicken or fish or like, it's not just for fish. It's not just for Doritos. It's for a lot of different things. So I feel like people need to um, just try it, like use it. There are no rules, you know? You heard it here and first, folks. Cheerios with Zatar. <laughs> Black pepper Cheerios. Um, so in your book, you, I, I mentioned uh, you, you group spices together. Um, and I think maybe to everybody out listening, you know, as, as Anna just said, sort of try a couple and just, you know, use those and figure out how to, how to use them. And make some mistakes. Um, but also I think looking at them in these sort of categories, uh, you, know, you have the three C's, cumin, coriander, and cardamom. Uh, you have saffron, ginger, and vanilla together, uh, allspice, cinnamon, nutmeg, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I, I thought that this, even though I've been cooking for so long, uh, you know, reasons why I admire you so much is every time we talk, I learn so much. Um, and, Likewise. Uh, and from this book, I have learned so much and been become so inspired, uh, again, just those flavor combinations. So I want to get to some questions from uh, the group here, and I've got a couple other things I want to talk about, sort of uh, storing spices, resources for good spices, because you know what? Just because we've inspired you here with talk about spices, if you're using bad spices or spices that are very old, like you inherited them from your grandmother, uh, those are not worth using. Right. If, if, if the dish calls for tomatoes and the tomatoes are just no good, your dish isn't going to be good. Right. Same thing with spices. They are not forever products, folks. But um, uh, yeah. 
So with that, let me uh, get to the first question, which is for you, Chef, uh, from our dear friend, Judith, who joins us regularly. Hi, Judith. Welcome back. She says, on a trip to Turkey, small dishes of spice mixture were on most of the tables when she went out to eat. Uh, dinners, diners dipped bread into olive oil and then into the spice. Uh, she brought some home, but our spice shop locally there, she says, was unable to duplicate it. Any idea what it might have been? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. There are, you know, spices are like condiments. They're often, um, you know, served in little spice trays with like little domes on them on the table. Usually it's the, the three. Um, there are three in Turkey that are used kind of to finish food or as condiments, and they're used all together. So you don't use just one. You use all three. And that's um, sumac, which we talked about, the lemony crimson colored spice, the marash pepper, also known as Aleppo pepper. Um, and you just use a little bit of that. And then dried spearmint is usually on the table as well. Ooh. And um, we know mint as um, as tea, right? We drink a lot of dried mint, but we don't cook with a lot of dried mint. And I always find it really interesting if you have a tomato sauce that you normally use oregano um if you substitute if you just switch it out and use dried mint it's a really warm sweet flavor um that also really tastes turkish and when you talk about you know food type you know spices make food taste like where they come from those three spices together in my mind is something that is very authentically um a, a flavor you would have in Turkey and nowhere else. Um, but that's my guess. They also do at times have the Urfa or the the Urfa pepper or the Marash or both um, in shakers on the table too. So if they weren't in like little dishes um, and they were in shakers, those the shakers were probably the chilies. But yeah, you, um, you can basically put it on everything, including Cheerios. <laughs> Awesome. So Judith, I think, uh, you know, mix those three together, it sounds like, uh, or, or any of those in, in combination, but also uh, it reminded me of, of various Zatar uh, blends. So there's Israeli, there's Moroccan Tunisian, uh, this is a Syrian Zatar blend. Um, and this one, uh, again, for my friends at Scordo, they use sumac, thyme, cumin, and sweet paprika, which is a really nice blend. Um, so it, it sounds like uh, Anna, what you were describing is sort of similar to that in its construct. And I love that you brought up mint because that's the other ingredient that I love. Uh, mint to me is the most underutilized ingredient uh, in the kitchen. You know, we'll throw parsley on everything. Yeah, parsley is great, right? But it's, it's, uh, it's not mint. Parsley isn't charismatic, elegant, beguiling, svelte, alluring. Mint is all of those things. It is the... Uh, to me, it is, ah, it's, it's sensuous, it's wonderful. And uh, yeah, and kind of you're a farmer too, so you know this. The only way to control mint uh, is actually just to eat it. Um, and so yeah. I put it, put it in everything fresh. Um, so I, I love your suggestion on that. All right. Uh, what, what, Anna, what is your, what's another favorite way to use mint? Uh, you mentioned dried mint and like tomato sauces, but how would you use fresh? Ooh, fresh, like you said, um, by the handful in in cucumber salads right now. So um, in, even in yogurt dishes, um, 
actually there, I don't think there are any rules with mint really. They go, you know, we have a sort of a holy trilogy of herbs that we use. Um, I talked about the spring rolls earlier, having the holy basil, cilantro and mint. And in Turkey, they use parsley, mint and dill in equal quantities. Um, and we use it so much, we have a nickname for it. We just call it PMD and it's on every station in the in the kitchen and it goes in pretty much everything. But um, the three mixed together is as a, also a unique uh, flavor that is its own. Um, but I feel like there's no rules with mint really. Potato salad with mint. I mean, that's like an Italian classic, right? With, the, with garlic and mint. Um, there's so many things that you wouldn't even guess mint would go with, but it seems to work. Um, and then of course, just drinking, like if you have it overgrown in your garden, um, you know, just taking a huge bundle like, um, and making, you know, pouring hot water over it and making the most incredible fresh mint tea too. Um, yeah, it's yeah. hard to go wrong. I, I go for a while as a fisherman over there and uh, that mint is, uh, ubiquitous there and that that's where I really learned to fall in love with it uh, and came back to America and found it so ridiculous that mint was in every kitchen in America but used only to garnish the whipped cream on the dessert right um, right like, okay you're throwing away basically the best ingredient uh, in your kitchen into a non-functional garnish um, <laughs> my favorite one of my very favorite dishes in terms of like a, a combination that people were just like, what mint uh, is roasted red peppers you know skinned and seeded and laid out on a plate and then top that with with anchovies uh cured anchovies and then uh fresh you know, chiffonade of mint and then powdered nutmeg uh, and that combination yeah. together is is stupid good it is that is my very favorite dish um and i make it every time i have people over it i make that and i enjoy the whole process that sounds amazing that sounds really amazing nutmeg and mint sounds amazing yeah it, it's it's kind of like a, huh, that's awesome. All right, from Elizabeth C. She says, I have loads and loads of herbs in my garden that go to waste every year, except for basil. She said, what are the essential ones to dry, freeze, or use in cooking? So we've talked about mint. Uh, we talked about dill. We talked about uh, parsley. Um, how do you, do you, do you dry your own? Uh, or do you just uh, leave it to the experts? I mean, McCormick or whoever, whatever spice cup, I have giant industrial dryer, maybe a better job. What I feel like, I feel like I'm not, like I like dried herbs, but only three of them. Like I don't find a ton of value from like say dried thyme or dried rosemary. I love um, dried mint, dried oregano, and za'atar, which is the, you, you were talking about it earlier, it's in the hyssop family. It's uh, a wild herb that grows all over the Eastern Mediterranean, like, um, like oregano grows in Greece and in Italy. It's, um, but the thing about za'atar is it's, it's, not, it's never the same. There's like 120 different varieties, but um, it, is, it is like in the oregano or the summer savory family. So those I love drying those. I think that they don't lose much and they hold um, their integrity or they have a, a special unique flavor. But like, you know, the watery herbs like dill and parsley, um, I don't think they dry very well. I don't think they have a ton of, you know, they 
a ton of flavor. They do maybe add things to blends, but I'm not a huge fan. I don't think it's worth the work, but um, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think, uh, Elizabeth, to your question, um, you know, things have seasons. Uh, you know, when you're growing a garden, uh, you know the joy of that, of a summer tomato. Um, you know, is a summer tomato going to be the same if you pull it out of your freezer in February? No, but if you have your abundance of second quality San Marzano tomatoes, plum tomatoes that you've topped with fresh thyme that you have pulled from the garden and black pepper and olive oil and salt and you throw them in your oven and roast them down at 200 degrees for eight hours or so and you put those, oh my gosh, with lots of olive oil and then you put those in little snack bags and freeze them, oh my gosh, yes, that is worth pulling out of your freezer in February. Um, but the parsley, I, I might say, you know what? Just enjoy it by the handful uh, now yeah. when it's fresh. Use it, think of it as a seasonal ingredient to use in abundance in its season. Uh, I do yeah. agree with you. Basil is like, uh, you know, as Elizabeth said, you know, except basil. Uh, make your pesto, put it away. It, it is a great ingredient throughout the year. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, and there's, probably, there's some really great, like, um, green um, chili hot sauces that you can, you know, throw tons of parsley and things into and then freeze and they'll be okay. But um, there's only so many herb purees you can kind of do and get through. Or compound butters is also a really good way of using a lot of herbs and then being able to, um, to you know, in March when maybe the herbs aren't there yet, you've got like a, a nice green parsley butter from your garden you know that could be a good way to use them too yeah. but yeah use eat them by the handful now yeah I, I think that's uh one of my sort of exhortations exhortations to to cooks and into to uh diners eaters is that uh herbs are not a you know don't Categorize them as sort of sequestered as garnishes. Uh, they're amongst the most compelling ingredients there are. Um, you know, I, salads with whole tons of herbs in them and handfuls and everything. Yeah, use herbs by the handful. They're ebullient ingredients. Let them be that. All right, next question from Adi. Is there a chart that states what spices pair well with what vegetables? Um, I wouldn't say that I have a chart necessarily, but I would recommend, uh, well, allow me to recommend Honest Book Spice, but also another book called Culinary Artistry by Karen Dornenberg and Aaron, uh, Andrew Page, which is um, uh, just an incredible book and a foundational book for a lot of chefs on a you and I generation. Uh, and, and a lot of cooks, that book came out probably 25 years ago now or so. Um, but Culinary Artistry is, is a book that uh, just lists every basic in, every ingredient you could think of alphabetically, and and then as a list of all the things it pairs well with, as uh, as derived from having canvassed, I think 150 of the best chefs in the world. Uh, so you get the opinions of all of those chefs sort of boiled down into these easy to use lists. So that book, uh, Culinary Artistry, is is incredible. Yeah, agree. That's a great tool. Yeah. All right, from Angela, what's the best way of getting that wonderful salty flavor without using too much salt, especially when you don't like hot, spicy food? Um, yeah. Anna, how do you do that? Um, 
great ingredients for sure that have natural sugars, I think are always a good idea. Like I always think that if you're on a, a low salt diet, you want to cook with a lot of onions. Onions are have a lot of sugar um, and can really add a lot to um, a dish, I think. So in all cooking, I'm a big fan of onions and I think you can get away with using less salt um, and just use, I guess, less salt, right? And not too much. Um, a spice like sumac, adding more acid like lemon, that also helps too. Yeah, I was just going to sumac. Sumac almost tastes salty. Um, yeah, they, in, they cure it with salt usually. Oh, okay. Well, that's why. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like well, seaweed or something. Yeah, well, I was going to say seaweed, uh, you know, kelp, um, dulse, and various forms uh, is a relatively new ingredient despite being uh, used for centuries. Um, there was a new sort of spice or herb that's coming into into vogue uh, as it means it, those are potassium based salts that are in uh, in, in seaweeds uh, that add incredible umami flavor, but also uh, salinity without uh, necessarily the negative uh, effects of the sodium based salts. So. All right. Another question for you uh, from Lisa. Um, and this is a good one for you, Farmer Anna. Uh, how do you keep fresh-picked vegetables from the garden from going rubbery, especially carrots? Yeah. Um, good question. Yeah, what makes them get rubbery, I wonder? Because um, we, you know, when we're storing them in the root cellar, we pack them in, um, in dirt, and so they kind of think they're in the ground. Um, obviously, you wouldn't do that in your fridge, but... I'd say brown paper bags in a dark, maybe the light makes them rubbery, maybe them not being um, wrapped well enough uh, makes them rubbery. Um, but yes, storing them in a vegetable drawer, brown paper bags in the back of your fridge. Um, but yeah, I mean, they do, I think their, their life is their life, right? You do what you can and then after a while, they're just, they're just gone. But yeah, that rubbery carrot is no fun. Yeah. Humidity is is an important part of that. You know, as as anything is pulled from the ground, it's going to start to dehydrate and desiccate, um, and that rubbery the rubbery beet that's become spongy, etc. Uh, you know, as starches and everything turn into sugars, and there's whole there's you know entire complex processes happening in the chemistry of, of anything as soon as you pull it from the ground or the water or uh, you know from the farm, etc. Um, but uh, an, another sort of um, uh, solution here that requires a little bit more labor would be to uh, stagger, you know, or succession plant. If you're, you know, if you're saying your question is, I think is based on abundance, uh, having enough to pull that is more than you can eat at the moment, right? That's, that's why your carrots are stored. Um, plants, you know, as, as I do on the farm, I, I here in, on my property, you know, I, I, and I'm not yet really good at it in terms of forecasting, but don't plant all your carrots at once. You know, you, you plant, I plant a week's worth of food every week. Uh, I try and do so, uh, in that way, it's, it keeps you a little bit more engaged in the garden. It's not quite as much fun just seeing the, the bed with the incredible abundance of carrots that, that all just look great. Um, but it, it certainly treats your garden more of as a, a process, uh, than necessarily sort of a storehouse. So, all right, next question from our dear friend, Hilda. Hi, thanks for joining us again. Nice to see you pop up. 
She often makes falafel, she said, as often as she can, uh, but need advice on the very best oil to use and the depth of oil to use. Uh, also, she says she forms flattened two-inch patty-type balls. What are your preferences, Chef Anna? Um, I don't know. I have kind of an oil thing, I guess. Uh, so if I think I'm a little... I get a little nervous about some of the oil out there, especially I think when it comes to, um, you know, prepared foods that are trying to be Mediterranean and, um, but don't have the budgets to use extra virgin olive oil or anything like that. There's a lot of kind of bad oil, but I would say um, whatever you can, you know, I guess the, the, the canola, the soy um, that are done in big, uh, commodity levels that are kind of genetically modified. I guess I would not choose an oil like that or even peanut oil. I would use something more like a grapeseed oil that can handle a high heat or just a, a virgin olive oil. Um, and it's actually not a high heat, sorry. It's more of a medium heat that can sustain when you're deep frying. Um, and so, yeah, so try to use something that isn't, um, I guess too toxic or low grade. Um, and then because it does absorb, you know, even though it's it's fried, it really does absorb into your food. So you might as well, um, you know, think about an oil that um, at least seems delicious, I guess. Um, and I think that's why I love olive oil is because even if it's a low grade olive oil, it seems, you know, good for you or delicious. Um, and then the the falafel, there's so many different variations of falafel. Um, and some some have the philosophy of being flat discs. They'll just take less time in the oil. Um, I personally like them kind of round, you know, like. Um, Protection like contrast too. Yeah. And then they get a little bit, they, they get a little crispier in the oil because they actually have to stay in the oil a little bit longer. To get hot so they get they form sort of a crunchy the longer they're in there they kind of get really crunchy on the outside and then yet they're soft and hopefully very um you know green or herbaceous i love the green the egyptian style green um all the herbs that are in those falafels um but yeah that's just my my personal preference i do think that it's um there is a fine line though because falafel can tend to be very sorry, dense and dry. And sometimes that's from over frying. Um, and then sometimes it's just the, the recipe. So that's a good question. Really good yeah. question. Cool. Well, thanks, Zelda. Um, so uh, to the earlier question uh, about how do you use up all your fresh herbs uh, that you have? Uh, um, with, you know, yeah, throw all of your parsley into your falafel and your mint and everything else. So, uh, Anna, we have a, a whole bunch more questions to go through. So I'm just going to scroll down. Now let's do some quick fire stuff because a lot of these I think are pretty uh, can be answered pretty quickly. So, uh, what are your favorite seasonings for tofu? Go. Oh, I love. Um, so it's not a very Middle Eastern question here, but I would say um, a spice blend like like bahra or. Um, Ras El Hanou, something spicy like harissa that's got chilies and spices in it. Lots of um, different spices and heat. It's spiced, it's spiced and it's spicy. Um, those are great on, tofu can handle a lot, so go yeah. for it. Um, cool. All right, so uh, to spell those out, harissa, H-A-R, 
H-A-R-I-S-S-A, harissa. Uh, there's uh, chili pastes that are used to refresh, but then there's also spice blends as well. So the one that you mentioned, and then Ras El Hanout, R-A-S-E-L-H-A-N-O-U-T, I believe. Ras Al Hanout um, are, uh, are, are those spelled out. So uh, check those out. They're, they're available from good spice stores. So um, let's see. Next question. What are your favorite ways to pickle something, in uh, pickling spices? There you go. What are your favorites? Um, I love the, I love the, my all-time favorite spice blend for pickles is Hawaii spice. It's a, a Yemenite, almost curry-like spice blend. Um, and it's spelled like Hawaii, but it has a J on the end. So it's H-A-W-A-I-J. Um, and it's got um, a, some fenugreek, some turmeric in it. But I also, you know, obviously the classic would be the mustard, bay, fennel, um, coriander. A lot of coriander is great in pickles. Those are my faves. I'm going to go with fennel seeds, fennel seeds, fennel <laughs> seeds, and a few more fennel seeds. Love me some fennel seeds. All right. Um, uh, Chris asked a question. She says she joined a, a sustainable uh, Alaskan seafood uh CSF program, community Seer fisheries program. Ask if there's another one from Maine. Uh, Chris, not that I know of, but there are a lot of sources that do offer direct shipping from Maine. Check out my friends at True Fin, T R U E F I N, True Fin. Uh, it's uh, formerly known as the Gulf of Maine sashimi. We've uh, featured some of their products before, uh, but they're doing the very highest quality Maine seafood shipped directly. Uh, so check them out. It's not a community share program, but you will get what you are hoping for. Best fish of your dreams. There you go. True fin. Uh, Chef Sorton, we have a, a dear friend of ours, Catherine Z. And Catherine, I must apologize to you. I never responded to your email about your visit to Maine. I do hope that you had the most wonderful time. And I hope that uh, I, I would love to hear where you did get to and got up to. Uh, but Catherine wrote that she had an incredible experience last Thanksgiving at, uh, at Sarma. And uh, just says, thank you, Chef, for being here today. So, um, best type of container to store dried spices in, Chef? Um, just a jar in a dark place. So it's mostly about, it doesn't really matter. The container doesn't matter as much as the place that you store it. So you don't want to store it in a window uh, where there's lots of sunlight, or you don't want to store it in a hot place like above the stove because it tends to dry them out. But in the cupboard is great. And, Either a glass or a metal jar. Cool. Airtight, dark, or bag. cool. Yeah. There you go. Um, let's see. One can never find dried mint, Gail. Uh, Gail um, complains here, which uh, I think is right. The mint that I find typically dried is of such low quality, which leads me to the question, Anna, where do you recommend people buy their spices? Ooh, um, you, can, you can mention your own spice blend company if you want. <laughs> um, if you're in the Boston area, we sell a lot of great spices at Sofra. It's worth going. It's worth going there um, to shop for spices uh, online. Um, Burlap and Barrel is a single spice um, uh, forager. He he is a former pastry chef that used to make ice cream and um, he started getting some beautiful cinnamon in and then his repertoire has grown and he's, it's become his sort of lifelong vision to collect single origin spices. Um, 
the best blends are from a guy in New York called Labwat. Um, it's spelled like L-A-B-O-I-T-E, like the 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 box in French. Um, it's Labwat Epice, uh, um, and it, he's in New York, and he also ships, and his blends are magical. Um, and then Penzi's is also a big online one that um, you can get basic standard spices from. Cool. Um, also, Kalustians is one that I've used. Oh. K-A-L-U-S-T-Y-A-N-S. Kalustians. Um, I believe I got that right. Sorry. So, burlap and barrel. La Boite Epice. Uh, a famous Parisian uh, épicier um, in New yeah. York as well. L-A-B-O-I-T. Epice. E-P-I-C-E. And then Penzies uh, were mentioned. So, there you go. Uh, so, you can't find dried mint. You will find great quality dreadmint at one of those sources. Also, uh, please check out my friends at Scordo. Scordo is the Greek word for garlic. Uh, they're a main base company, neighbors here in Freeport. Lovely, lovely people. Uh, check them out, scordo.com, S-K-O-R-D-O. Um, there you go. Uh, Lisa asked a very interesting question. Would you consider wine a spice, and when do you add it? I'm going to tackle the uh, when do you add it part of it. And Chef, I'll ask you uh, the whether it's a spice or not. You, you mentioned a little bit of that, that earlier. Uh, wine, to me, is added. Uh, it's very rare that you want the flavor or presence of alcohol in a finished dish. Uh, and so I always add wine in at a time uh, in the preparation where the alcohol has a chance to cook off. If you're making a stock, I add it first before the water. Let it cook just a little bit. Wine is there to add complexity, acidity, and tension to things, not alcohol. Uh, there are, you know, a few dishes where you add the wine or the spirit at the end, say a flambe. Uh, I do a bluefish, which is my very favorite fish. Any kind of fish would work. Saute it in a good deal of olive oil, uh, big chunks of whole cloves of garlic that have been smashed, and I just saute it one side up. So the skin gets pretty crispy over medium-high heat. Cook it about 90% of the way through. Turn off the heat. Flip it over. And then I add a shot of Pernod or I'll add a shot of uh, herb sant or something like that. And then light it on fire. So in that way, I add it at the very end. Uh, and the only wines that I use in their raw form would be a Madeira uh, or sometimes a Sherry. Uh, and that's added only really to... Uh, to milk-based foods, like a, a chowder or a bisque, something that has that fat and a little bit, a tiny little bit of that Madeira, that sherry blooms so much. It adds a nice uh, sort of lifting to the palate. So I'll let you uh, talk about whether it's a spice or not and uh, any response to, to what I was mentioning. I don't think it. I don't think it classifies as a spice, but it does have nuances like like spices do. But I I always feel like when you're adding wine, the French, the classic French thing is, is, is sugar. You're adding sugar, a natural yeah. sugar, which um, also really, I think, enhances um, the flavor. Somebody asked earlier, like, how, how can I use less salt? Well, you, you could use a, a little more sugar. Like wine is also, you know, onions, wine, um, you know, to me, that's a, a good substitute for adding a little bit of sweetness. Um, to something. But yeah, I mean, in a way, you know, what are spices? You know, it's just they're, they're an ingredient that has this sort of, that lends a dimension or um, a certain note to something. And I think wine does that. So 
um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know. And a glass of it or two while you're cooking is always, uh, yeah, it's always fun. Um, all right. Uh, is there a Catherine M asks if there's formula you use to choose which spices go with which foods. I think we've, we've covered that in, in various ways here, Catherine. Uh, so I would again recommend uh, Donna's book, Spice, another book, Culinary Artistry, uh, as well as um, just sort of thinking about spice blends in terms of cuisines. Um, and I think if you just Google that, there's a lot of good resources out there for sort of what herbs and spices are typical to various cuisines. So Jillian B. asks a really interesting question that you just touched on, Anna. Uh, what are your favorite ways to use spices in sweets or desserts? Oh, yeah. I think, again, there there's no rules. It's difficult. There isn't like this magical answer. I think a lot of things work. Even cumin can work sometimes. Hmm if it's with coconut or, and a lot of other sweet spices like cinnamon, because if you take it uh, equal parts cumin and you blend it with equal parts cinnamon, you get something that um, kind of straddles sweet and savory. Um, but then if you start adding, adding more sweet things like coconut um, or brown sugar or things like that, then you can really get away with even using some cumin um, in desserts. I mean, Spice the the traditional spices that are used in desserts are there are you know in, a, in the United States are the pumpkin pie spices, mm -hmm. the sweet ones, the allspice, the nutmeg, the cloves, those things. Um, but also in in um, the Middle East they use spices like um, mastic, which is the resin of um, a bush that grows in uh, on the island of Hios, and it's it's like. A, like almost like a sort of just a sweet spice like vanilla is. It's like a plain sweet spice. Um, it does have a slight sort of pine flavor to it, but it's kind of neutral. It's that neutral sweet. They have mahleb, which is the pit of a, a sour cherry. And um, and that's also used in sweet uh, preparations. And then of course, cinnamon is the probably the number one spice that goes into sweet desserts. Mm -hmm. I've had some great uh, black pepper ice cream. Uh, I've had some great cardamom ice creams, uh, things like that. I think uh, when they have to be used sparingly, I, I think this is often true with spices. You know, in America, you know, we love our blackening spice, which makes things taste like just overdone to me. Um, you know, to me, spices should be used in the way that perfume or cologne should be used. Just a whiff. Yes. You don't want to bowl somebody over. Uh, you want them to be allured. You want them to have that whisper of like, oh my gosh, what is that scent? And, you know, to, to heighten the experience, not to, you know, everybody's been behind that guy on his way to the club, uh, you know, on the sidewalk and just like, oh my God, dude, lay off the Yuga boss. Come on, man. You know. <laughs> You never want your spices, you, you know, if you make a dessert or anything for somebody, you don't want them to feel like you just cooked them the, the guy in the colonos way to cool up. Um, but, um, you know, cinnamon, it just sort of in, in reverse of this question, you know, sweet spices used in savory. Um, nutmeg, to me, is one of the quintessential seafood spices. Uh, it is It is astounding how well it pairs, especially with fatty fish. But nutmeg is the lacy outer, uh, I'm sorry, um, I've been talking about nutmeg and I actually meant to say mace. Mace is oh. the lacy outer hull uh, 
of in the basically of the fruit that is the nutmeg seed pod in the middle. Uh, and mace tastes like uh, a slightly more angular nutmeg, um, typically used in pumpkin pie spice, but blends beautifully uh, with fatty fish. Nutmeg, too, uh, does. Uh, but cinnamon, I used to, uh, almost everything that went onto my grill, I had, a, I had a grill spice blend that was three parts salt, one part sugar, a tiny bit of smoked paprika, and a tiny bit of cinnamon. Uh, ground in there. And it wasn't to make things taste more like cinnamon or smoked paprika or to make them sweet, but rather to add those points of, of balance um, that, that have come up in, in many ways today. So um, next question up at the top here we have from Adi again. Any suggestions, ideas on how to begin a home herb garden? Uh, yes. Uh, either plant way too much of them and, and you know commit yourself to like a raised bed situation um, herbs should not be treated as precious. Uh, buy them or seed them in bulk and let them grow profusely. Um, use the uh, plant herbs that you also can't get better quality of than at the grocery store. Uh, like ba like basil at the grocery store to me it, it's just it doesn't it doesn't get there ever. Um, so plant a lot of basil. Uh, Shervil. Plant a lot of chervil, mint, the, the ones where freshness is really the key. Dill, plant them. Parsley, you know what? The parsley that's available at the grocery store is really pretty good, often. Cilantro that's at the grocery store is pretty good. Um, so if you've got limited space, invest in the ones that where the quality diminishes so much by the time it gets to the store. Uh, the, uh, another little tip I would have is, is also think about perennial herbs. So thyme, rosemary, sage, tarragon, things like that. Um, consider if you plant them outside, consider how to bring them inside uh, during the winter. Uh, if you're in a zone where they will not overwinter, as I am here in Maine, um, or just design a means to protect them over the winter. So you're actually investing in creating this big, beautiful bush uh, that will yield you the volumes you want. Uh, but also, when buying herb plants, you can go to the landscape store and spend $4.99 to get a single parsley plant uh, or a single basil plant. Or you can go to Trader Joe's or any grocery store and get those beautiful little cups of living basil that are in the hydroponics. And you know what? You get like 20 plants for $2.99. And you know what? If you plant 20 of those, you're going to get 19 big, giant bushes of basil out of it. The yield is incredible. It saves money. So... There you go. That's my tip. Lana, anything to add? No, I think that's I think that's right. I like the starter ideas, though, because I think some people get nervous um, starting by seed. You have to really kind of care about them. But if you get little seedlings and um, every year you decide you're going to add like a new herb, um, pretty soon you're going to have a, a pretty lush, beautiful, um, varied herb garden. Yeah. Cool. Herbs. Yay. Um, Susan asked about a, a substitute for cilantro. So she is one of uh, us who have the genetic, the genetics that make uh, cilantro taste like soap. And I believe like 20% of the population or so, maybe even 40% uh, have that gene or what, whatever it is, the, the mechanism that makes cilantro taste uh, rather off-putting to them. Do you have any suggestions on a, for a substitute for cilantro? Um, no, I would say just hold the cilantro. Cilantro is its own thing, but you know, other herbs, like you talked about mint, like if, you know, 
that's a really great thing to add to your life and your cooking. Dill is another one that's a great thing to add to your life. But I feel like cilantro is um, is a big one that you you don't have to use. You can just take it away. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, mint would be probably the, the closest substitute. Cilantro is somewhat of a warm flavor. Uh, and mint adds that sort of warmth. Um, but yeah. cilantro, dill, and mint are, are, spice, are herbs that are both kind of cooling and warming uh, at the same time. Yeah. Um, so maybe put those three in category. All right. Uh, an interesting question from Lisa. We, we've touched on this a little bit, Jeff, but how do you use spices on fresh produce? She says that she does it minimally, uh, which I would I would tend to uh, um, support. But any any sort of quick fire tips or techniques for you? You mean on on just vegetables in general, spices with vegetables? Um, I, I think like in, in the way that like uh, a fresh salad, uh, as opposed to a stewed tomato dish where, where you're cooking them down. So, right. So on a salad, you you maybe don't want to use the um, the earthy, more complex spices. Like I wouldn't recommend sprinkling a bunch of turmeric on a salad. I would, or even cumin for that matter. It's pretty earthy, but. I would like you could crack some fresh coriander over it. You could um, crack some fennel seed. You could crack. Uh, you could put a lot of sumac. You could sprinkle lots of za'atar um, mixed with sesame seeds and sumac um, over it. You could. I mean, one of my favorite things. It's not a, a spice technically. It's an herb, but is tons of oregano, dried oregano on a salad, um, is fabulous. And that's about as earthy as it gets. Um, but I, you know we don't necessarily use spices with a heavy hand. It's not complex spice blends that sort of overpower everything, but we do use them on absolutely everything, including uh, salads. So I think that, um, you know, if it's something that's very subtle um, or even with fish or something, we might get away with using the same spices. We just might back off a little bit on the quantity and use a little bit less, use it more gently if it's, the more delicate it is, um, the more gentle you are, and that's sort of a typical rule. Awesome. Uh, a, a little trick that I might use uh, in terms of doing it minimally, I, I agree with that, as I, I said. Uh, so a fresh heirloom tomatoes, you know, height of perfection, just awesomeness. Um, uh, cinnamon, just a tiny little bit of cinnamon uh, and coriander, ground coriander, a little, tiny little bit of cumin mixed in there, as Anna was talking about, that cinnamon cumin blend. Um, it's going to be hard, though, to use these spices, which are very dusty. I mean, they, they, you know, it's hard to sprinkle a minimal amount of them across a wide space, right? So uh, mix it with your salt that you intend to use for that dish uh, is a way that I've done to introduce that spice, but then to physically use it properly. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to just have your flavors right and your volumes right, right? But uh, if you use a teaspoon of cinnamon, but you put all the cinnamon in this part of the plate, it's not going to be any good. you got to get it all over. So just physically, how do you spread out those spices in a, in a fresh way, um, you know, blend it into a vinaigrette so that it spreads out, et cetera. Just think about the physicality of it as well as the construction. So we are just about up at the end of time. We have just a few more comments and questions. Chef, real quick, what's your favorite pepper mill? Spice grinder. Uh, pepper mill. Um, I actually don't have a, a brand 
pepper mill. You know the in you can buy the Turkish pepper mills. They're sort of long, thin copper with a, a one that uh, handle that turns up like this, and those get it really fine. They're actually used more um, traditionally for coffee because they blend, they grind it really fine. But it's nice because you can hold the the ground spices in the bottom of it, um, and then you know use it, and then grind some more, and then use it, and then grind some more. Those are kind of fun. I use a I honestly, I use a like a coffee grinder to grind, um, you know, a couple tablespoons of spices at a time. And then when those are gone, I grind some more kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't have a brand. Do you? Uh, no, I, I use I have a coffee grinder, an electric coffee grinder that I yeah. use only for spices, hard ones like uh, coriander, uh, fennel seeds, if I need a powder out of them. Um, I've got a, just a pepper mill, uh, nothing I would necessarily recommend, but, uh, do check out the Turkish pepper mill. If you, if you search that out online, uh, in a shopping site, you'll, you'll find it beautiful, elegant things. You're going to pay for them. Uh, but they will, they're such a beautiful thing to put on your table that, uh, it, it, and the quality they, they yield is worth the money. So, um, uh, Catherine asks, what is, what is the name of the pepper you use? So you mentioned too, Marash pepper, M-A-A-R-A-S-H, as well as Urfa, U-R-U-R-F-A um, pepper, uh, the two that Chef mentioned, also known as, uh, or, or the Marash pepper is also known as Aleppo pepper. Um, there you go. And uh, let's see. Um, yeah, we, we've got to sign off now, so I just wanted to make sure we got, we got to most of the questions or questioning, I believe, about seaweed and in vegan cuisine. Uh, use it as you would any other dried spice, I think, uh, in very small quantities. Like, think of it like oregano. It adds that same depth and huge richness to it. Um, what seasonings should you add to fish before as opposed to after? Uh, anything hard spices you use before that need to toast and sort of cook into it, sumac things, soft spices uh, can be sought on afterwards. Catherine adds a, a nice thing about black pepper in Chinese cuisine that has this hugely aromatic, almost uh, stinkiness to it. I think she, she says here, I just read that quickly. Um, Ask if there's other unique spices that I'm not a fan of. I would say actually dried oregano. I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, I, I think it's overpowering, and maybe that's just because I've, I, I, you know, I've had my experiences with that. Where at uh, cheap pizza restaurants, where it was just it was there to make you think like what you're eating tasted like something. Uh, but good quality dried oregano, I, I admit, I have not allowed myself to be a fan of. Uh, and then we have a little comment about smoking and drying. Chilies like smoked paprika and wonderful uh, chili blends like chipotle maritas and there's a large history of smoked spiced chilies all over the planet. And with that, I will say, wow, we've covered a lot of ground with my dear friend, uh, admired colleague, and uh, just admired human being. Uh, Sorten, thank you so much for joining. For any of you still on, please follow her on Instagram at Sorten Chef. Her restaurant's Juliana Buzz. Follow me on Instagram at Barton Seaver and Chef. I can't wait to see you again, host you up in Maine sometime. And thank you for dropping so much knowledge. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love learning from you too, Barton. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Well, we've uh, we've cooked for some incredible people before. <laughs> uh, we were talking about it earlier from Giselle to Secretary Kerry to Prince of Wales to Alec Baldwin. We've had some fun meals. Uh, that we've cooked for charity events. And uh, as I said, I just admire you 
um, at all of these big celebrity chef events, there's always a lot of ego going around. And let me tell you, folks, uh, Anna's the one that shows up and helps you stir your ratatouille uh, because she's just <laughs> actually interested in what you're doing. She's humble. She's incredible. And she's more talented than everyone else in the room, guaranteed. Thank you. Thank oh, that's you. so nice. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. All right, y'all, join us again at the next event. You'll be getting emails from us. I typically do events either on Tuesdays or Thursdays. Thanks for being part of the Ruby family, and I am grateful for you. Take care, y'all. Bye.